Being a new hunter is hard. The learning curve is steep, especially if you don't know others that hunt. Don't let this discourage you, though. There's many experienced hunters that are looking to help new hunters. Finding a hunting mentor is the best way to accelerate the learning curve and gain the knowledge and confidence you need to help you advance on your journey as a hunter. My guest today, Eric Dinger, talks about the importance of mentoring new hunters, where you can find hunting mentors, the North American model for wildlife conservation, and the decline of the baby boomer generation in hunting, and the effect it could have on the future of hunting. Welcome to Activate the Hunt, helping you master the skill of hunting. If you're a new hunter who's just getting started, or you've been hunting for a while, but want to learn new tips, tactics, and information to help you become a better hunter, this podcast is for you. Get ready to activate the hunt. Welcome to episode five of Activate the Hunt podcast. My name is Colin Cottrell. I'm your host. Whether you're new to the show or you've been a listener from the start, I want to welcome you. I interview some of the top hunters and hunting ambassadors there is and ask them the questions that will help us all learn hunting tips, tactics, and information, and essentially move the needle forward as we strive to become better hunters and hunting advocates. A few things I wanted to mention before we get into our interview this week with Eric Dinger. I know it's been a couple weeks since we last released an episode. If you follow Activate the Hunt on social media, you know that my wife and I welcomed our second daughter into the world a few weeks back. Mom and baby Autumn are doing great, but it's definitely been a busy couple weeks getting the new little one integrated into our life. If you want to stay more connected with me, be sure to follow Activate the Hunt on social media at Instagram.com forward slash Activate the Hunt and facebook.com forward slash activate the hunt. And don't forget to join our closed Facebook group. It's called Activate the Hunt Digital Campfire. This is a free online community where you can talk with other hunters, ask hunting-related questions, share your own hunting tips and stories, and so much more. This community will provide great value to all of you, no matter if you're a beginning hunter or you've been hunting for years. You don't want to miss out on the conversations we're having in this group. Make sure you join right away at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash activate the hunt. Last but not least, I wanted to give a shout out to a few of you who've rated and reviewed Activate the Hunt on iTunes. Thank you, Ryan Mickler, Matthew Blanton, Jeremy Jacobson, and the rest of you. I really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, please leave your rating and review on iTunes as this helps others that are interested in hunting find the show. All right, I'm excited to introduce our guest this week, Eric Dinger. Eric is a lifelong hunter and outdoorsman. And he's the CEO of Powderhook.com, an app that helps hunters, anglers, and outdoorsmen find places to go and things to do, including a community of mentors that are helping each other on hunting, fishing, and outdoor adventures. Powderhook is basically your help desk for the outdoors. Prior to starting Powderhook, Eric founded his first company, a PR and marketing company known as Thought District, which he sold in 2012. In this show, Eric covers many topics that are important to new hunters and those that have been hunting for a while including the importance of mentoring new hunters and celebrating those that are taking their time to be mentors to our next generation of hunters. This was a fun interview. Enjoy. Eric, thanks for coming on the show today, man. How's it going? Hey, doing good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. I know you're, uh, you're got a busy schedule. You're out at Poma right now and, uh, you know, you're busy with all that stuff, but I appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing out at Poma. Well, Poma is the Professional Outdoor Media Association conference. And so there are writers here from all over the country, content creators, writers, 
in fact, not enough of them. So if you're a content creator or a writer, put this conference on your list. There's there's good speakers, and then the chance to to get to know the people that are telling the American public the story of hunting and fishing. So it's a good chance to to get together with some people who can help you get the word out. Yeah, that's awesome. I I definitely that's something I need to you know I. I I know what Palma is. I just have never really got into the whole organization and going to the events, but I definitely, it's something, you know, as I uh, grow and get older, I want to be more part of those kinds of things and, and be closer and get to know those writers and those content creators that are within the industry. So that's something I definitely need to check out. It's it's important, I think. Well, now you got a new podcast, so you're a content creator. You got to <laughs> yeah. be here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I got to represent. That's for sure. So just really glad to have you on the show today. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I really want to talk about is, you know, with this podcast is getting new hunters into the sport, but also, you know, the hunters that already are, you know, are hunters, we want to help them understand how they can get other hunters into the sport and, you know, what they can do to get those hunters into the sport. So, sure. so kind of just to inter- introduce everybody to who you are and how you got into hunting, tell me a little bit about your introduction to hunting. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, hunting for me is almost a birthright. Uh, I was born in South Dakota. And uh, for those of you who have been to South Dakota or know of South Dakota, it's the pheasant capital of the world. And funny story, but about 200 yards from my house where I grew up was where the sign was for that said pheasant capital of the world. And the pheasant was introduced in South Dakota about nine miles from where I grew up. So from the earliest age, I mean, I think got baby pictures with dead pheasants and deer in them. So I've hunted and fished uh, since the beginning. And so it's no, not even really a hobby. It's just kind of a way of life. Part of who I am, you know, is being an outdoorsman. I, I think I guided my first pheasant hunters when I was nine. I had a pheasant cleaning business with my little sister when I was 12, 13, 14. So yeah, it's just, it's always been a part of who I am. T- tell me a little bit about this, this pheasant cleaning business. What, what did that entail? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, my dad ran the grain elevator in Redfield, South Dakota. And uh, because of that, he knew all the farmers and knew all the guys that were running little outfitting businesses. You know, this is sadly, you know, 25 years ago now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that happened fast. Uh, but what what would happen would be, you know, he would have a friend who had 20 hunters coming from California and they needed a hand. And so dad and I would go out and I'd take a group and, you know, kind of show them where to go. And then when they were done, now I understand this, when they were done, they wanted to go drink beer and not clean their birds. <laughs> At the time, I just thought they were lazy or too rich to, to actually do it for themselves. Um, so one time I said, well, I'll clean the birds for you. And uh, one of the guys, I think, named the price. You know, he said, well, we'll give you a few bucks a bird. And, you know, when you're 12 years old and a guy will pay you $2.50 a bird to clean his pheasants and he's got 50 dead roosters, you're like, well, that yeah. Ad, that adds up baseball. quick. That's a lot of baseball cards. <laughs> <laughs> so my sister and I would would spend our evenings after basketball practice or whatever, cleaning people's pheasants. And, and dad of course would help and buy the bags and all that stuff. But yeah, I think at the age of 12, I probably had $200 in my wallet and maybe I haven't had that much money in my wallet since. <laughs> now, <laughs> when, now obviously pheasant hunting is a big draw to South Dakota. Is it just people in South Dakota that are hunting pheasants or is there people coming from all over the, you know, like the United States to come hunt pheasants in South Dakota? Yeah, I mean, your uh, your show is, is 
definitely targeting at, uh, new hunters. And one of the funnest things about the outdoors in general is learning and traveling as you grow as a, as a sportsman. And so South Dakota is kind of a homing beacon for uh, people who love to upland bird hunt. And upland birds would be things like quail and, and pheasants and, and partridge and grouse. But South Dakota, at least where I grew up in South Dakota, is kind of the, the home base of the pheasant hunter. And uh, so we would have people coming from all over the world uh, to, to hunt pheasants there. And uh, honestly, you know, if you're, a, if you're a new hunter or even if you've been a hunter for a while, a South Dakota pheasant hunt is a shockingly affordable and accessible hunt. People think that you need to spend a ton of money. You know, having grown up there, of course, I have family and know a lot of people. Yep. But a neat thing about a neat thing about South Dakota that your listeners should know is every little town in South Dakota has a roadside motel, and they'll probably charge you eighty bucks a night. But the neat thing is South Dakota has a absolute ton of public land through what's called the CREP program in South Dakota, okay. and then every road ditch other than the interstate in the state of South Dakota is public hunting, and there have been many times where I've traveled back home to South Dakota. We live in Nebraska now, and we've shot limits of pheasants out of the ditch. So, you know, <laughs> awesome. even if you're a, you know, a do-it-yourself, on-the-cheap-don't-have-a-lot-of-money college student with no dog, go hunt the edge of somebody's cornfield in the weeds, and you can shoot pheasants in South Dakota. And I promise you, you'll have the time of your life. Yeah. Now, for a new hunter going there, what, what should they expect? Well, uh, a good time. Number one, uh, if you're from out of state, you should expect people to look at you funny because a lot of these small towns are pretty used to the people that are there all the time. Uh, and when you're new, you'll, you'll get some stares. Uh, but it, you should expect, you know, to be able to sleep in, which means you can have a good time at night, have a good steak, and uh, get out, stretch the legs, and chase birds. It's it's, I don't know, it's my passion, so I, I don't have a hard time trying to convince people to go do it. But uh, I think if anybody tries at a time or two, it's, they'll get hooked. It's just a, it's a, an unbelievable place to find yourself on a fall Saturday. And from what I remember growing up, I didn't do a lot of pheasant hunting, but we did a little bit. And I grew up in Minnesota, so it wasn't far away. But we always heard about South Dakota and how awesome the pheasant hunting was. Never had a chance to go, so that's something I hope to do. But what I remember is that it's a pretty, you know, it's kind of a pretty relaxing hunt. You know, it, it can, it's not really super intense where it's kind of you're walking and enjoying conversation with people. You know, you're, you're obviously not yelling and screaming, but you're just walking along, enjoying yourself. And, and, you know, obviously if you're working with dogs, you know, you're waiting for those dogs to do their thing or you're, you know, obviously waiting to flush a bird up and, you know, make your shot. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, Colin, I think hunting is about people. It's about who you're with. It's about the place you're in. And then it's about the animal uh, that you're chasing. And it, it's very seldom, in my opinion, and this is something I hope you can impart on your uh, listeners as your show grows and, and you do your thing, is hunting isn't about me. It's not about you. Hunting is about being in the company of people you enjoy. It's about being in a place that's away from your cell phone or away from your job. It's about being in the beautiful places where a pheasant lives. And then it's about enjoying the beauty of a pheasant flush, the beauty of a dog working, the beauty of seeing a deer jump up as you're pheasant hunting. And so to that end, like you said, Colin, I mean, pheasant hunt is a very social 
you know, you're active, you're on your feet, so you're working at it a little, so you feel good at the end of the day when you, you know, you sweat a little and, you, you know, your body's ready for a steak. And, and ultimately, you know, if you pick a couple good friends to go with, uh, you know, for a guy that's fired like me and, and probably for most of your listeners, there's not a whole lot more fun you can have than to find yourself, you know, with a few good buddies in a, in a cool place chasing a beautiful animal. Totally, totally. No, that's something I, I, like I said, I've got to get to South Dakota and I've got to, I've got to go there and, and try the hunting there. And, you know, one of the biggest parts for me too, is the fact that I want to go do it with friends. I want to go do it with people I enjoy to be around. And I mean, if they're, if they're hunting, I enjoy being around them. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very rare that, uh, when you get another person out into the, into the woods, whether you're turkey hunting or deer hunting or duck hunting or whatever, it's pretty rare you find somebody you just can't stand. And that's a, that's a fun camaraderie that, that hunting brings to the table. It's an easy way to make a friend. It's an easy way to keep a friend. You know, and it's something to, to put on your calendar every year where, you know, you can plan to be away from the stress of your daily life and go be a, a guy or a young lady and, and go have some fun. Now, would you recommend if somebody was maybe new to pheasant hunting or just new to hunting altogether, would you recommend that they, you know, how do they find somebody to go hunting with or how do they learn, you know, just even the first initial steps of going pheasant hunting? Good question. So, uh, almost everybody who hunts the, first of all, I think one of the things that your users or your listeners need to know is being new to hunting sucks. It's hard. There is a lot to learn. There is, you know, people, there are people, you will come across who will be experts and just like any new passion or pursuit or hobby or way of life just takes time to get good at. And so the first thing I would offer is just don't expect much. You know, there are guys that will travel to deer hunt and if they don't shoot a deer, it's a dismal failure. Well, just don't be that guy. Travel to deer hunt and enjoy the people that you're with enjoy the place you're at and enjoy the beauty of seeing a turkey while you're deer hunting or waking up and watching the sun come up from a, from a blind or a tree stand. So, you know, if, if you right away, you know, nobody likes to say this, but being new is hard you know, you don't know who to tell what and where to go and how you should do it. And then you shoot a deer or a turkey and you don't know what to do with it. And that's all okay. I think what, what's neat is most people, if, if they have a, a, sportsman bone in their body would go out of their way to help you. And, and I don't just think that I know that for sure, because that's what powder hook does is we've got thousands of people nationwide in our technology, in our app who are literally helping people. They don't know for almost no reward simply because we want to see other people enjoy the way of life that we've come to know and, and have the peace and the, the, the sense of place that we get when we go hunt. And I think that that has a viral nature to it. It's something that I know I want to share with others, but I wanted to share it long before I ever worked in the industry. I wanted to share it because it's so cool and it's amazing. And it's one of the few places and things I can do that removes me from the, the daily stress of whatever I've got going on. And I want other people to be able to feel that. I agree. I totally agree. Now, you know, there's obviously people who are listening that are maybe just, you know, just getting interested in hunting and they're just getting started. So they want to learn where to get started. But there's also those listeners that are listening who 
are already hunters, maybe been hunting for 5, 10, 15 years, whatever it is, but they know enough around hunting to help others get started. Now, do you, I mean, obviously with powder hook, that's a mentoring program is a big part of that. You know, what, what does that entail? Talk about mentoring and how we can mentor those new hunters. Sure. So whether you're new or whether you've been hunting your whole life and you're listening to this, there is a very strong chance that you're not going to learn to hunt by yourself. And what I mean by that is for almost every person who hunted, who has hunted, and those of you who are listening, I, I'm going to just ask you, just shut your eyes and picture the person who took you and taught you. That's your mentor. And something like 93% of people have a mentor when they get into hunting. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a formal thing. Maybe it's your, na- your neighbor's dad or your, you know, your brother-in-law or your, your uncle or whoever. Um, but somebody is likely going to be the person who takes the initiative to show you the ropes. Well, the challenge with that today is that those people aren't as plentiful, especially in urban areas where, you know, if you're maybe a person that's thinking about getting into hunting, you maybe don't know, you know, the neighbor's dad who, who will take you. And that's really what we're trying to capture in our technology is this idea that just about anybody can be a mentor and everybody can get mentored by using some technology. And that's what what our app is all about is We've got hundreds of mentors throughout the country who are just literally today at this moment ready and willing to help you with whatever questions you might have about the outdoors. I mean, that's huge for for the next generation of hunters. I know one thing that, you know, in the past that we've talked about, Eric, is the fact that there's there's a natural drop that happens, you know, as hunters get older, you know, they quit hunting or don't hunt as much and and, and license sales go down. But on the front end, you know, one thing that you had mentioned to me before is we're not replenishing new hunters. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. So, you know, at the risk of sounding like too much of a canary in a coal mine, I guess, if you're thinking about starting hunting, I want you to think about this. Or if you are a hunter, you need to know this. There is something called a license cliff in the United States. And and at the risk of kind of going into more detail than a new person might be interested in, basically hunters and fishermen through buying licenses and paying an additional 11% tax on everything they buy to hunt and fish in the United States, fund about 60% of all conservation in the United States. That's a really big number. And what that means is that conservation decisions, decisions that benefit animals in wild places, can be made independent of the general government. What that means then is that, you know, cities can't just develop into CRP and and public lands. And you can't just build houses next to public lakes because that affects the habitat, the only places that wild animals have to live. And it's because hunters buy licenses and anglers buy gear that we have the money to preserve those places or to conserve those places. The problem with that is that model works when hunting, when fishing are steady and growing. And in fact, they are steady. And they are even maybe growing a little bit right now. But the very scary thing, and, and what I would describe as a near ecological crisis looming. So if you're thinking about hunting and you care about, you know, birds and bees and, you know, wild things in general, there is a crisis coming that only hunters and anglers can fix. And that is the baby boomer generation is nearing the point in their life where they're going to stop going. The largest group 
of funders of conservation in the history of the world is the baby boomer generation in the United States. And by the, by the age of 68, those people are no longer going to be hunting. It's almost a cliff that we hit in the middle 60s as, as hunters and anglers where we just stop going. Or in most states, we stop buying licenses because we don't have to have a license after 65. The scary thing about that is that's upwards of 35 or 40% of hunters today. And if you take 35 or 40% of hunters away, you got to find a way to replace those or that model of protecting wild animals and protecting wild places all of a sudden is underfunded and doesn't work anymore. And that's when we start to see things like, man, we need to sell off some of this land and develop it and build houses. And, you know, man, it'd be really nice to keep that, you know, program going, but it's either that or close the part of the state park. And I think that's a, what I consider an ecological crisis on the horizon. I can see it so clearly that if you're listening to this and you're thinking about getting into hunting and maybe you have your reservations, just know that hunting is a good and very important thing for wild animal conservation in the United States and throughout the country and throughout the world. And if that's a tipping point for you, just know you're doing the right thing by getting into hunting and fishing. And I think it's a misconception. I don't, I I think that there's a lot of people who maybe are non hunters, but don't, maybe frown upon frown upon hunting that don't really understand this total concept of the North American, you know, model for wildlife conservation. They don't, they don't understand how it works. And, you know, even though they're not against hunting, you know, they're not out there advocating for hunting to really help the anti hunters or, you know, more of the non hunters understand why they should be getting into hunting. Absolutely. And you know, I imagine no anti-hunter is probably listening to, to your podcast. Probably and not. and if you're, <laughs> but if you're a person that's thinking about getting into it, I would invite you to, to join us because that 35 or 40% of baby boomers leaving our ranks over the next 10 years means that we've got to find ways to get young people out, get new people going and excited about, about the outdoors. And, and there are hundreds of reasons and some of which I've laid out for you to, uh, to want to do that. But even if you lack all of it, don't believe in any of those reasons, and you just really want there to be more deer, then you got to be a hunter. If you want there to be management of, of water bodies in the United States so that there's a, a plover in, in 20 years, you know, a bird, you got to buy a fishing line. You got to go fishing. There is no other mechanism ever invented in any country in the world that funds more conservation than the hunting and fishing done in the United States. Yeah. So join us. Please join us. You know, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons why I started this podcast was because I want those people who are just maybe getting started or just thinking about getting into hunting to know that, like you said before, we're here. We're here to help. We want you to join us. We want you to be part of this. Not because we have this crazy thing that we want, you know, just people just to be hunters because they, we want them to be hunters. I mean, actually, that would create more competition for us. We want hunting to be here because it's a tradition. It's important. It's important to converse, conservation. It's important to so many other factors, you know, uh, in our way of life. Yeah. I, Colin, I think you point out a, a really important thing there. And, and it's something that I want new hunters to understand. Um, I often think of new hunters in thirds. I think of there's a type of hunter or angler who is never going to help you no matter what. Maybe that's a third of the people that you come across. 
maybe they just don't know, or maybe they're just not interested, or maybe they're introverts and they don't like, you know, doing things with other people. In the middle, you have probably your most avid people, the people that are trying to catch the biggest fish or shoot the biggest deer. And those people on the whole are probably less likely to help you than the last type of person. And I think it's literally a third of the people in the outdoor industry, in the outdoor community, who would stop what they're doing on their hunt to help you, who would take greater satisfaction in knowing you caught a fish today than they caught a fish. And I am one of those people and Powderhook as an app is full of hundreds of those people who are, are saying with their actions that you having a great day outside is part of the reward for me. Part of what makes hunting and fishing a passion for me is sharing that. And I think that if, if you haven't found that person, ask another one because one in three that you talk to is going to jump through whatever hoop is necessary to help you have a great day. Now, not to not to bring a fear factor into this, but you know, say we don't start replenishing the hunters, you know, new hunters. What what could hunting look like, you know, in ten years, fifteen years? Well, I think a lot of people would answer that with, you know, maybe a, a European model of hunting, where only you know in Europe, in some countries, it's called the sport of kings, because you have to be a fairly wealthy person, have to have a, a you know family land you know, in your family in order to hunt, or you have to be able to pay handsomely uh, to an outfitter or a, or a lodge or something to host you. And uh, honestly, that's, that's like the doomsday scenario for conservation throughout the world is that only the wealthy can do it. But in the United States, we have millions of acres of public land and we have uh, the ability to get out and, and do things in a different way. And I think it's scary to think about when, when or if hunting or fishing were to decline such that we lost the ability to preserve those areas. It scares me to think that, you know, maybe for my son who's four, you know, he has to have a lease or he has to, to pay some inordinate amount of money to have access to it. Or we have to have hunting and fishing and conservation supported by general funds through the government which is even scarier because we all know that, you know, if, if the county that you live in was in charge of whether or not they could develop the, the 40 acres of CRP on the edge of town, the prerogative, the, the necessity of that county is to increase its tax base. And that, you know, 40 acres of corn is worth way more than 40 acres of CRP to the county. And so when, you know, the, the, the real answer to your question is if funding were to decline from hunting and fishing, license sales and excise taxes, the funding would either have to come from somewhere else or those things would go away. And that funding coming from someplace else is the scariest of all scenarios because the economic imperative of the people who control that money has nothing to do with the benefit or welfare of wild animals, has nothing to do with keeping open places. It's much more profitable for the county or for the city or for the state to build houses and charge a property tax on a, you know, half million dollar house than it is to let it sit there and be a wild place for a wild animal. No, I think it's important that, that new hunters understand we own public land. We own the animals on these public lands as, as a group, we own these, we own this, you know, and that's, that's important to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thought, right? Most things that are on somebody's land, they own, but because of the North American model, what's called the public trust doctrine, no one, 
uniquely own the deer. We all own the deer. We all own the goose. The landowner doesn't own the deer. The county doesn't own the deer. We own the deer. We own wild animals in this in this country. And ownership is a weird way to describe it. But w- what that did is it said that that no one person has sovereignty over the control of, of, of wildlife. And I think that's a really important thing our country did, you know, upwards of 100 years ago. Now, kind of switching, you know, kind of changing the pace here a little bit. You know, there's many that are maybe just thinking about hunting or getting into hunting. And, and I know that a lot of those people are because they're they're looking at what they're eating. They're looking at, you know, they're looking at, uh, um, you know, where their food actually comes from. You know, what would you what would you say to the person that's, you know, thinking about that and wanting to get into hunting? Yeah, I mean, I still by far and away, the number one reason people hunt is for food. You know, 38 percent of people say the number one reason they hunt. The biggest answer in these national surveys is for food. And, you know, I like to think of it this way. So uh, this is how I explain it to my daughter. She's six um, and she's kind of starting to hunt and has a lot of questions. And it's it's just a a fact, Colin, that for you to eat today, something has to die. It's a fact that for me to go have lunch here at the POMA conference, that something died so I could eat. That's just a fact. And people can, can say, it's, you know, we can be vegan. But for 99% of people, something dies today so we can eat. And once you swallow that pill and really process that consciously, the question becomes, well, is it more or less responsible of me to, to participate in that process? Meaning, is it, am I a better person or a worse person if I eat chicken that was raised for slaughter in a chicken house where that animal had no welfare whatsoever? Or is it better to think about, you know, if I kill a pheasant that lived in the wild and died instantly, is that a better life for my food? And that's a goofy way to think about, but what I think hunters and anglers and people who who harvest their own food understand in a way that people can't unless they do is that animals are living things with value. And when we step away from the process of how food gets to our table, when we act like that's not really happening, that's how we end up with these ghastly, you know, feedlots where animals have have no welfare and they have no you know quality of life and and i think by not participating in the food chain we are by proxy basically saying that we're okay with that happening most people who say they love animals probably don't know or don't fully consider what their food goes through before it hits their plate and I think it's lazy, intellectually, I think it's lazy to say, I don't like hunting or hunting isn't a good thing because it hurts animals when you have a, a piece of steak on your, on your plate. I think that's intellectually, I think it's intellectually lazy. You haven't thought through what you're saying. And I would challenge you, if you're thinking about getting into hunting and one of the things you care about is where your food comes from, I would challenge you to think about, is there a way more pure and more clean than to go get it yourself? And I would argue no. That's, you know, it's not the main reason why I hunt, but it's a big part of why I hunt. You know, I like to know where my food comes from. And I grew up on a a beef ranch in central Minnesota and, you know, we had crops as well. So, you know, 
a big part of that was no, we knew where our food came from. We, we knew where our beef came from. We, we know that we could go out in the fall and we could, you know, kill an animal and harvest that meat. And, you know, it was going to be, you know, something that we, we knew where it came from. And we actually valued the, the fact that, you know, we wanted to do things the right way with our own ranch and, and how we raised our own beef. And, you know, that's, that's not, you know, there's obviously big, you know, big operations around, you know, the United States and it's not like that. So for those people that don't like that, you know, you can go out and harvest your own meat out in the woods on public land. And I, you know, I grew up in a small town, actually not far from where you grew up. And I don't have a bad word to say about a farmer or a rancher. You know, it's the feeding of a growing global population is not an easy thing at a, at a price point you can afford. How do you get enough beef to feed a developing country. Well, you, you have to have things like concentration of animals in a feedlot. But I don't, I don't think it's okay that, you know, although Leopold said it so perfectly, you know, 90 years ago, he said the, the death of our civilization will be when we think food comes from the grocery store and heat comes from the furnace. And if you, if you really, like, that could almost be the, the whole talk today, right? It could be the, almost the whole podcast is is when we think food comes from the grocery store, we are lost. Not just lost from a food standpoint, but we have completely lost track of our role as an animal in the ecosystem in which we live. And that's a weird way to say it, maybe, but we are a living thing, living amongst other living things. And when we don't know where our food comes from, we lose track of the fact that we have a very important role in the natural order of things, in the natural food chain happening all around us. How do we embrace those people that don't understand that and don't understand, you know, where our food comes from and, and that whole model? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question, Colin. And it's a big hot button for me because I think hunters and anglers have gotten their panties in a wad. Frankly, we want to, we want to pick a fight or we want to stand up for what we believe. And the, the, where the rubber meets the road on that, in my opinion, is you're not going to convince somebody on Facebook to think like you think. You are not going to give people the facts and the, and the storylines that matter to you and, and change the way they feel. The thing that hunters, anglers, shooters, people who love the outdoors need to do is stop fighting with people and start inviting them. There is nothing you can do to convince somebody that hunting is okay until you take them. Once you do, they'll get it. So stop arguing with them and make a seat in the truck for them and take them. Then they'll get it. Until then, you're wasting your breath. I agree. And the fulfillment you're going to get from taking that person and showing them, whether they end up becoming a hunter or not, you know, you're going to have the fulfillment of at least you tried and at least you get, you know, gave them the opportunity. It wasn't about a big social media fight or back and forth bicker. You know, you, you actually authentically tried to, you know, take them out and show them your way of life and what you truly believe. Yeah, it's real then, right? Yeah. Now, how can we, how can we celebrate, you know, the people who are taking people out? How can we, you know, how can we get them to stand up, get more people to stand up and, and take part in this? Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to the, I think that's a good question. And I, I want to speak to the, the people who are listening who are hunters. For, in my lifetime, the idea of a hunting show, TV show, and scoring a deer and scoring a turkey and, and the way we communicate about hunting has changed from, 
you know, I shot a, a deer and we're having, you know, deer steaks tonight to how big was your deer? What did it score? How, you know, <laughs> how badass is your bow? You know, how cool is your gun? How far can you shoot? And I think as hunters, we need to stop. You know, this isn't about me, remember. This is about our way of life. This is about the good in what we do. And I think as a culture in our industry, we need to get to where it's cooler to bring new people than it is to shoot something at 700 yards. It's cooler to invite a person that has never been in the woods than it is to have the coolest new crossbow. Like, what I think is cool is when a person shoots a smaller deer because their friend got to shoot the other deer. Like, that's cool. And I I want our industry to get to the point where we celebrate the guys doing the work to bring new people into this space at a level much greater than who shoots the biggest Boone and Crockett deer. Because honest to God, whether you shoot a 150-inch deer doesn't matter at all to anybody but you. And it's just about you at that point. And that's not what this whole thing is about. That's not why you're a hunter. Why you're a hunter is because of all the things we've talked about today. And we need to get back to celebrating the people who are sharing that and promoting the people who are doing the work at the local level to make sure that others get a chance to feel what we feel. That's the cool stuff, in my opinion. Now, you know, I want to be conscious of your time today, Eric. You know, as I wrap up the show, I'd like to ask a couple other questions, additional questions to each of my guests. And the first question is a simple question, but I know it's different for everyone who's a hunter. And, uh, you know, that question is, why do you hunt? Yeah, that's a hard one for me, actually. I, I, I would almost answer that with, like, I don't know better. I don't know anything else. Um, I hunt because it's the one way that my dad and I get lots of time together. I hunt because it's the reason I get to go back home to South Dakota. I hunt because I want my son to hunt. I hunt because elk steaks taste better than beef steaks. I hunt because, you know, watching the sun come up in the turkey blind, I don't do that unless I'm hunting. I don't get up at 4.30 in the morning and go sit in the woods and watch the woods wake up unless I'm hunting. And so it's, it's a hard answer for me because it's just like, it's what I think about. It's what I do, it's how I'm wired. I would almost say like it, when you're, when you grow up like I did, it's almost like, why wouldn't you, <laughs> you know? Uh, when I realize that's not a good enough answer for somebody considering getting into the outdoors, but man, if you could just have a chance to feel what I've felt in the woods, I think you would find a, a sense of peace and happiness that I've found through being outside. Where can people get in contact with you if they want to reach out to you after after they hear you on this podcast? And and if you have anything else you'd like to say, Eric, please you know say that now as well. Perfect. Okay. Well, you know we're running a business, so I've got to tell you about our app. Uh, Our app is full of free maps, um, thousands and thousands of events, and most importantly, people who can help you take next steps as a hunter, as an angler. So. If you're looking to get started in the outdoor industry or if you're traveling as a hunter to a new area and you need some new information or you need to find out what's going on, we have hundreds of mentors available to you through our app, and our app is completely free. Uh, so just hit up the uh, iTunes or, or uh, 
or uh, App Store or Google Play and search Powder Hook. It's gunpowder, fish hook, so powder hook, but all one word. So Powder Hook, or you can go to powderhook.com and uh, check it out. And uh, if you have, if you're the type of person who has the answers to people's questions, chip in and help them. Let's be that one-third of people who care more about whether others are having a good day than, than just ourselves. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time today, man. Thank you so much for uh, coming on here and, and talking about all this. I think it's really going to help out, you know, new hunters. But I also think it's going to help out those guys who have been hunting for a while and you know need to know about these these hot topics and these things that you know that we're all passionate about. Well, Colin, I'm excited for a new project. It, it'll be a, a really great tool as you build it out. So thanks for having me on, and, and good luck with it. You bet. Thank you. Have a good day, man. You too. See ya. I hope you enjoyed the interview this week with Eric. I encourage you to go to powderhook.com or download the app from your mobile phone. Get signed up and get involved with this great community of hunters, anglers, and outdoorsmen. If there's one thing that you can take from the interview this week, it's that mentoring our next generation of hunters is crucial to the future of hunting. Also, to find the show notes and links from this episode, visit www.activatethehunt.com forward slash 005. Don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever app you're listening from. And I would also appreciate if you'd leave me a rating review from iTunes. As I mentioned before, this will help others that are looking for hunting information find this podcast. We will be back next Wednesday with a new interview. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to Activate the Hunt podcast. For additional information about this podcast, the show notes, hunting articles, and more, visit www.activatethehunt.com.